Well, howdy doody. It's Kumar Dixit, your concierge minister.com. Back here with you. I'm so glad that you are still here with me. We are about to celebrate a Valentine's Day, the worst Hallmark made up holiday that I know of. Um, if you all know me really well, you know that I don't celebrate Valentine's Day. And I lucked out because I married somebody who hates Valentine's Day even worse than I do. So if I were to get her a card or chocolates or candy, she'd probably slap me because she wants me to do it just when I want to do it. Isn't that amazing that I found the right person? But I want to talk to an expert about relationships because even though I have an amazing, amazing relationship, you all know that I'm also like one foot away from divorce and murder at the same time, half the time. So um, I decided to bring in someone that I've known for a few years, um, Sarah Kubrick, who um, is a therapist, an existential therapist. Um, is that how I say it, Sarah? Yeah, an existential therapist. Yeah. And uh, who also is an expert in relationships and identity. And funny story, I was, I'm, I'm like a, a, a news geek. And so Google always knows what to send me. Um, and so in the morning I wake up and I read this article in USA Today like a few months ago, and it was good. It was a good article on relationships. And then I roll back up, I scroll back up to see who wrote the article and it says Sarah Kubrick. No way, really? Yeah, yeah. And oh, so then I'm like, that. yeah, that's how I, that's why I reached out to you. Cause I was like, uh, Sarah, is that you of USA Today. And sure enough, it was, and, and now Google knows that I like you. And so it sends me all of your articles every time. I'm that so you, sorry. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So Sarah is a, is a uh, therapist who has a column with USA Today. She also has a forthcoming book that's coming out. I'm really excited. So yeah, thank you for coming and joining me on, on the podcast. I want to talk to you about relationships, some of the mm. nitty gritty things uh, about it. You ready to go? Yeah, I'm ready to go. So, so what, what are, what is kind of like the common problem that you find in relationships? Um, and I'm talking about heterosexual relationships, kind of the, you know, just um, the typical issues that people are coming in for. Yeah, one problem is the problem. I can't, um, I can't choose one because <laughs> there, okay. there, there are a few that are really, really common. And I think they're all kind of worth mentioning. Um, I think one of them, especially in long-term relationships, is that we start to form assumptions without realizing that we have them. We start to categorize and file away our partner as a certain type of human being um, that functions a certain way um, and that we have a certain relationship with. And that causes a lot of issues because we are not up to date and we're not aware of the changes that they're going through. Especially if you've been with someone for 10 years, 20 years, even five years, you're probably a different person. And when I say that, I really genuinely hope that you're a different person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I hope that you've evolved and you've changed and that that is now impacting your relationship and that your relationship as a result has to evolve and change. And why relationship get so stagnant is because we just assume this is them, this is me, this is relationship, and that's it. And we miss each other. We actually miss seeing who the other person is and who they're becoming. And not just that, but we miss being able to support 
support them and being able to grow with them. And so I, I think that people stop being curious about one another. And that's one of the biggest issues um, that I see in relationships. So what happens when, like, I think, you know, you're, you're right. Like, I'll just use my relationship as an example, yeah. Because um, I'm sure my wife wants to just have my business out there, you know. But, I'm sure she loves it. Yeah, yeah. So you know, we started dating around 24, 25 years old. We got married when she was 26. We're in our our mid to late 40s now, and like, she is not the 26 year old that I fell in love with. She's somebody like a totally different woman. Yeah. And I think one of the challenges for relationships is that. Um, I kind of want that 26 year old person who was fun and young and vivacious and willing to take risks and laughed about everything. And now, you know, all I see is somebody who's like, this is a little bit of a stereotype, but you know, is concerned about the kids, who's worried about the bills, who's always telling me everything that's not done around the house rather than (laughs) thinking about, you know, who she once was. So, so what, how do you, how do you deal with that with, with couples when they're on two different paths? I think it's when you're in a relationship, you need to be willing to keep falling in love. You need to be Mm -hmm. willing to recommit. And I think when the narrative is we do this once when we either get married or move in, whatever the dynamic is, and then we're done, that's where the issue is. I think it's changing the narrative and the expectation of the relationship. We need to go, actually, I'm going to be asked to keep falling in love with you. And I'm going to keep asking to fall in love with versions of you that I have not even seen before. Mm. And I'm either going to choose to do that or not choose to do that. And obviously communication is super important. If you go to your spouse and you say, look, I really love you, but there's aspects of you that I really miss. Do you miss those aspects of you as well? Is there something we can do together to bring that person back? Or do you feel like you've outgrown her? If you've outgrown her, that's great. It's not on us to impose, but maybe your wife would also be stoked to just be laughing and taking risks and, <laughs> and, and enjoying life instead of, you know, the mental load of being a mother and being a wife. And mm-hmm. so I think it's also having those conversations of like, this is what I'm seeing you change into is this intentional? Is this a dynamic that we've accidentally created? Um, and is this someone that I can now choose to love and recommit to? Mm-hmm. That's that, that's good. So, you know, I'm, I do grief counseling. Um, that's kind mm-hmm. of my forte is, is bereavement and grief counseling. Um, I, I try to avoid relationship counseling because I think it's boring. Um, it's like, <laughs> it's like the same stuff, you know, and I'm going to like give you kind of like, a caricature of a couple. Okay. Now this is like the stuff that I find so boring and why I just can't see couples anymore. And that is like, she wants to have like a deep relationship, a deep conversation with him. And he's like, just, I'm in my cave. I'm a guy. I have no emotions. I have nothing to talk about. Uh, and she's like, I just wish we could like sit around the table and have deep conversations and talk about our dreams and our goals. And I have so much I want to talk about. And, and what are you thinking about? And he's like, football. Uh. And, yeah. and it really is true. Like that is the relationship. So, so you have like, you know, obviously a communication difference that a lot of couples go through. Um, What's the quick fix, Sarah? Because you could like set, you could like sell millions of books if you could just deal with that one problem alone. I mean, I don't think there's ever a quick fix, but there's two 
issues that I see there. One is lack of intention. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and, and maybe, yeah, lack of intention from, from what it sounds like his part, he's not intentionally connecting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lack of self-awareness. So um, maybe he doesn't know what his wants, desires, and dreams are because he's not aware of them. And maybe she's not aware of herself and how she comes off the fact that she might be super overbearing or pushy or wanting to have the exact same conversation over and over again, because maybe she doesn't have friends and she doesn't have interesting conversations with other people. And now he's her only way to kind of fulfill that need. And the truth is your one partner can't fulfill all your needs and they shouldn't. Mm. It's okay to have other people fulfill your needs. Mm. It's totally fine for you to have girlfriends and your own hobbies and, and your own thoughts about something without your husband and your wife or your partner confirming them. Um, So I I think that in this situation, he feels a bit disconnected. And I guess for me, I would always wonder how connected is he with himself? Because Mm. usually the inner world, the inner relationship is, you know, it's just being replicated with those around us. And so, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I totally agree. I think that for many of these kinds of men, they don't have an answer because they don't know. They haven't really done any kind of self-evaluation or, or kind of a looking within. So you're, you're maybe expecting. They're hoping. Maybe they're super unhappy in their miserable lives that have been laid out for them where they thought they had to get married and have a house. And now they have a mortgage and they have kids and they never got to enjoy themselves. And now they're just blocking everything out and watching football. Like why? Like there's no empathy usually given to them, but it's like, maybe you really don't like your life and it is your responsibility to change that. But I also wonder how much it's a, it's a coping mechanism. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. And I think that one of the things that you just said, I think is so key. And that is like, just like you diversify in your finances, Mm. you need to diversify in your relationships. Like your spouse cannot be everything for you. Like, that's why you have friends. That's why you have coworkers. That's why you have other relationships because they, they can't serve as everything for you. No. And I don't know why we would, I think expectations are a huge reason why couples, you know, have hiccups is because they either expect nothing, which I don't think is great either. Um, or they expect way too much and their expectations are completely unrealistic. Um, and when that happens, usually the partner will try really hard and eventually just give up and go, you know what, no matter what I do is not enough. So I'm just going to do nothing. And I bet you almost anything that that guy sitting on that couch probably tried for a little while. And then I was like, Nope, (laughs) no, I'm done. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's good. So one of the, one of the big things that couples often, I I hear couples often saying is we're not, a couple really we're just roommates you know mm. the, the intimacy has kind of just gone and the, you know there's they like hanging out in sweats and they're really really good friends but they're not mm. lovers you know they're not yeah. intimate lovers and um i i, I kind of liken this to like if you go for a long time without saying i love you to somebody it's really mm. awkward to kind of like start over again and be like i love you you know like yeah. it's it's, it's weird to, you know, start over and, and to say it. So in the mm-hmm. same way, it's kind of weird to like, when you've been such good, good platonic friends to kind of go from there back into um, romantic sexual mm-hmm. partners. Um, what, how, how, how would you, what, what would you say to somebody who wants to kind of like deepen their relationship um, to more of that romance? 
Yeah. I mean, both individuals need to be willing. Mm-hmm. I don't think one person can do the work. I don't think, you know, it's enough for one person to dress up. I think it's both individuals need to want that reconnect. Um, and it's hard to kind of spark that desire, I suppose, again. And I know you mentioned Esther Perel in, in one of the emails to me, and she talks about this all the time. And I think she's really, she's really right. And I think sometimes it's our lack of distance or enmeshment that doesn't allow for that, you know, intimacy. And obviously I'm not going to pretend to know exactly everything she says, but she says mystery is important. So if you're peeing with your partner brushing their teeth right next to them, you're kind of ruining the mystery. And it's not about fake pretenses. It's about just what do you find sexy? Do you Mm. find someone peeing next to you sexy? If yes, then do that. But if you don't find that that's a turn (laughs) on, then don't do that. And it's just kind of keeping the mystery alive by just not sharing absolutely everything. They don't need to be your doctor. They don't need to shave your back. They don't need to, you know, do all these things. And I know that's cute. And couples usually at first are like, wow, we're at such an intimate level. But sometimes that really just doesn't work for people. And if your husband farts next to you and burps next to you, and then he's like, let's have sex, you might not be into it. And that's okay. And I think it's little behaviors like that, Mm -hmm. that don't translate and that we're not conscious of. Mm -hmm. And then we just kind of stop trying too. I think marriage, especially, is this space of like, well, now they're here forever. And then, and it's like, and now it doesn't matter. And it's like, yeah. no, no. And I think it again goes back to that narrative that you're not choosing to recommit every day. It's that it was a one time thing and now everything goes and now it doesn't matter. Right, right. I think that's a, such a great point. There needs to be some mystery um, in, yeah. in the relationship. Um, just so like, since oh, you yeah. brought up, Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, during COVID, all the couples were stuck together all day, and then they had nothing to talk about because they just, like, spent the whole day together. Mm -hmm. Um, And the thing is, it's like, go to separate rooms. Have separate conversations with friends. Don't join every Zoom your spouse is in so that you have something to talk about with one another. Mm. Don't watch the same show. Like It's okay to have your own things that then you can contribute and you can have a conversation with and you can process with them um, instead of doing absolutely everything together. And then you have nothing to talk about. You have nothing substantial to say to one another sometimes. That's such a great point because I have a pair of friends that every time I talk to them on the phone, um, they always put themselves on speaker so the other one can hear. Yeah. And and I'm always like, I didn't I, call your yeah, wife. Yeah. I called you. And yeah. I don't know if there's a trust issue or they just are just really nosy and want to be part of it. But I'm like, you know, as you were just saying that, I was thinking, you know, that allows them to have a conversation with their spouse to talk about what, you know, I shared from my perspective rather than always being in it all the time. Yeah. And they get to share their perspective of what you said. Like he brings a whole dimension to it. Yeah. Um, you brought up Esther Perel. So I'll bring up Esther Perel now. Um, yeah. And and that is that, um, and I'm going to, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this because, you know, as I'm an, I'm an ordained minister, but I do wonder sometimes if there is a, I don't want to use the word need, but if there is a good rationale for having um, extramarital friendships and relationships. Cause I think one of the things that she kind of talks about um, in, in a couple of her books is the idea that maybe we're not meant to be, be, monogamous. be monogamous 
you know, and, and I have this joke where it's like a hundred years ago, like it was easy to get married because you, the life expectancy was like 40. So 30. yeah, <laughs> you know, so it's like, yes, I'll marry you for my lifetime because you're only going to live like another 15 or 20 years. Right. But now that, you know, with science that we're meant to like live, you know, for, in our hundreds, it's like, mm, maybe I need to re- it is a long time. Maybe I need to rethink this, you know? Yeah. So, um, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know what you think about the idea of, you know, faithfulness to a partner and having numerous relationships um, that are part of uh, uh, a, a couple. Yeah, I mean, it really has to boil down to what works for you. I think yeah. um, Esther Perel also, when she talks about infidelity or fidelity or marital relationships, she does talk about them in the context of society and the need for such relationships in the past, maybe the lack of need for them now. Um, I heard a phrase, modern monogamy, first time with a client who said, mm what do you think about modern monogamy? And I had to be like, I have no idea what you're talking about, care to explain. And she said, the concept that we can be monogamous with someone until it lasts, until it fits, until it resonates, until we change too much. And then we can be monogamous with somebody else. And so we Mm. have multiple meaningful partners. And to me, that makes perfect sense. Um, Because I do feel like it's very hard to find a partner that you will grow at, in the same direction at the same speed mm. um, for extended periods of time. Mm. And the couples that get to do that are super lucky. I think that's really beautiful. Do I think that we can force ourselves to do that? No. Do I think yeah. it's all common? No. Um, and so for me, the principle of having to be with one person forever I, I don't know if that actually fits in, in how I perceive human behavior either. Um, but again, I think the second you introduce the possibility of not being with someone, you also introduce desire to be with them. Mm-hmm. When you say, you know what, let's just make this work for as long as we can, as long as it suits us, as long as, you know, it makes us the best people, as long as we can connect, um, and I honestly think the couples that do that, it lasts longer than yeah. the couples that just assume that it will. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that actually answered your question, but I also think that infidelity, sometimes people's attempts of finding themselves in other people. I mean, infidelity is something I study in my dissertation. And most people go out into different relationships also because they're not satisfied with their own own relationship with themselves, not just with their partner. And they're hoping that someone else will like resuscitate a part of them that's died. Yeah. Um, so I do think that sometimes we, we reach out almost as a way to utilize someone else to feel something that we can't evoke within ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think if people are more self-aware, perhaps that wouldn't be as needed. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, you know, also couples therapy could be a good option too, before you start, you know, looking for a a third or fourth party in your relationship. Yeah. And I mean, that's right. That's also different of adding people to the relationship versus ending a relationship and starting one with someone else. Um, And it really depends on people's, I guess, beliefs. I think that it's complicated enough to have a relationship with one human that having it with multiple (laughs) people can be really challenging. Um, But also I've seen people be really happy in those sorts of relationships. And so um, I think it's whatever um, you can make work for you. That was the most diplomatic answer I can give, but I honestly feel (laughs) that way. 
yeah, yeah. So, so I, I have this theory. Um, you know, if, when you look at relationships like eHarmony or you know different dating apps, you know there, there's a tremendous amount of research that's put into the algorithm of finding the right person. And mm. what they say is basically it comes down to how much do you have in common? How similar are you to those those people? So even though they may fill out a whole list, like one of the, one of the things I, I read, a research study I read said, you know, like 80% of people will say religion is important to me, but then it never is even on the top 10. Ultimately, when they choose yeah. somebody, you know, it has to do with looks, chemistry, and what they have in common, right? And I feel like um, I'm, t- I'm testing out like a new theory for you, okay? So yeah, yeah. Um, I-, I feel like if you want a successful relationship to last a long time, you have to find a person who has the same love language as you do. Because all you're doing then is you're stroking that love language that you love and they love. But if they have, let me give you an example, okay? Um, I'll just use my wife as an example because she she doesn't care, you know. Uh, Does she even she listen to she, the podcast? She doesn't listen to the podcast, so that's 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 good news. Um, but um, her her love language is acts of service, mm. and my love language is touch, mm. and 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 words of affirmation. So the way she wants me to love her is for me to do the dishes, for me to sweep the floor, for me to run the dishwasher without her reminding me. The -hmm. way that I wanna show her that I love her is to touch her and kiss her and hug her and play with her hair and, you know, and she's like, ew, ew, she doesn't like that. She's not even like a touchy feely person already. So it's kind of like, ew, what are you doing? Like, yeah, get away, you know? So what, what what I have found in with couples who are like, have such extreme love language is that wouldn't it be easier to find somebody who has a similar love language so then you're always speaking that language rather than in my mind I'm you know like like literally like two weeks ago I was like emptying the dishwasher and she said and she meant it she was like oh you look so hot doing that and I was like ew like this is like disgusting work what are you talking about but in her mind she was like oh he loves me because he's doing that right and I'm like this is a lot of effort to try to show this woman that I love her Uh, it would be so much easier if we both had the same love language and then like bam we're done bam you're done okay so a couple things went in running my mind as you were talking one is um, you said the thing that would make relationship successful is blank. And you said five or similar love languages. I think people also seek the relationships they believe they deserve. So unless you think that you deserve a good relationship, and this is a lot of inner work, you're not going to have one, chances are. And so this, I think, is the true kind of <laughs> really, really look into what you think you deserve, what's been modeled to you, what you believe about relationships, because that stuff will come out. That stuff will manifest. That stuff will just destroy any good relationships and really nurture the relationships you probably shouldn't be in. So anyways, Mm. and if you're already in a committed relationship, maybe that's a narrative you need to change while being in a relationship. Maybe it's a, you know, a belief both of you need to change. So side note, love languages. Okay. So what's fascinating about love languages and the research I've also seen and heard is that your love languages change. Mm. 
Mm. The option change, um, let's say that you are dating someone who um, gives you a lot of words and gives you lots of hugs, but does nothing for you. Okay, in your next relationship, chances of acts of service being your top love language, really, really high. Mm. Then you start to date someone who does all these acts of service, but doesn't say he loves you enough. Mm. Okay, your next relationship, you're probably going to look for words of affirmation. Do you see where I'm getting at? Yes, yes, yes. I do think we have the natural tendency to show love and receive love a certain way. But we all like I think a big misconception about the five love languages is that we have like one it's like we all actually need all of them yeah yeah they might be slightly different in the hierarchy but i would say the context sometimes plays a really big role mm. so perhaps i don't know maybe if you empty the dishwasher every single day mm-hmm. eventually your wife would start to focus on a different love language I'm not sure, but that's just something to test out in your theory of like, maybe if you did all these acts of service, she would have more capacity for words of affirmation, which she did. The second you enter, were doing the dishwasher, she looked at you and said, you're hot. That's words of affirmation. So the second she didn't have to compensate, she Mm. offered a different love language. So Mm. I don't know, just something to think about. That is something I'm going to, I'm going to have to, I mean, I was about to say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do a 30 day challenge, but I don't really want to empty the dishwasher for 30 days, <laughs> but it may save my marriage. So it may save your marriage. But again, would it be easier if you both felt it the same way? Yes. But there's also a possibility that then both of you would just do the same things and then figure out that you're both lacking in other areas. So I don't know. Yeah. Are you a believer in, in the five love languages? I've, I've read quite a bit of stuff that there's therapists who don't really attribute you know kind of give credence to gary chapman's work um i mean i've read the book i've never done extensive research i think there's more love languages for sure than just the five i think it's a very rudimentary way of explaining or or um putting to categorizing different ways that human exist and the different needs we have so i think it's a really great gateway do i think that it explains everything and takes into account different variations of those love languages not necessarily but would i discredit it not really yeah sarah what what do do you say to a couple where one of them is like we need couples counseling but i cannot convince them to come to couples counseling like what do you what do you say to that um, person to to coach them through that bye no i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) may i have your copay no i mean you can't make the relationship work by yourself. I also don't know how good it feels to, to coerce or manipulate or pressure your partner into wanting to get help. Um, I get questions like, how do I convince my boyfriend to move in? You don't. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, you can have a discussion about why they're hesitating to go to therapy or why they're hesitating to move in. You can express to them that why you think this is needed and perhaps what the outcome will be of not going to therapy that you Mm -hmm. foresee. But it's not about, I don't think we can force someone into it. I don't think we should threaten someone into it either. I just think it's kind of like, I'm really unhappy. I feel like I've tried everything I know how to try. Mm. I'd like us to go get help. And I'm worried that if we don't, I'm not going to want to be in this relationship anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that wasn't helpful, but I mean, I, I don't think you can, you know, expressing yourself, maybe your partner is not realizing how serious it is. Mm-hmm. That is usually the case. 
or why would be helpful. So maybe doing a bit of research and saying, this is how therapists can help. This is how it functions. There's often a stigma around therapy. So maybe just some psychoeducation can help them as well. Yeah. Or even going to therapy yourself at first to try to figure things out about yourself before you get the other person involved. Yeah. That's always an interesting dynamic. I usually find the people who are the least problematic in the relationships are the one in therapy and the people that (laughs) that are causing a lot of, you know, tension in the relationships are one that are not. So yes, absolutely do that for you, but don't do that for them. Don't do that. Mm. You know, that's, and chances are usually people like that will maybe realize that that relationship is not for them. I mean, Mm. I see that happen quite a bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, that's, that's, that's really good. Um, Valentine's Day is around the corner. Um, what, what kind of advice do you give to couples who want to just try to do a little bit of a, a jump start or tune up on their relationship? Any... Yeah, I'm so bad. I forgot it was Valentine's Day. I was like trying to schedule a meeting and people are like, yeah. <laughs> like, gotcha. Shame on you. Shame on me. Um, do something for the other person. Um, that they will actually like, not that you want them to like, not what you think is expected, but like make it personal. It doesn't have to be big, but do something that is very customized to them where they feel very seen and very appreciated. Um, Yeah. So if you want to do something special, do that. Like you don't need to spend $200 on a fancy dinner where you're both uncomfortable and wearing clothes that that don't really fit you or that you don't feel comfortable in, you know, like you don't, you don't need to do these things, but figure out how you can make each other feel special and maybe even have that conversation. Like, I really want to do something to, to appreciate you and show you how much I, I love you and how much I honor this relationship. What could we do together? Awesome. Final question. Um, You are known as the millennial therapist um, on Instagram. I just recently saw you had over a million, 1 million subscribers on Instagram compared to my one podcast listener. Uh, shout out to my sister. Um, um, what is there, is there like a major difference between millennials and their relationship habits compared to let's say me, a Gen Xer, um, are, are, do you see kind of differences in generations or are they pretty much the same issues? It's almost like chocolate wrapped in different wrapping paper. So mm. we all have communication issues. We all struggle with boundaries. We all struggle with self-awareness, but I think the context just packages it very differently and to some extent, I do think the modern world, the technology, <laughs> like I'm like, you're not in the modern world. That's not what I mean. But I do <laughs> think it's getting harder and harder, especially for Gen Zers, more so than millennials. And I think the culture of dating is just changing so much. At the root of it, I would still boil it down to the same issues as our parents had. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just intensified and manifesting in very new ways that people don't know how to navigate. Yeah. So people's lack of, you know, understanding of who they are as a human. Now they have like a, a trail of destruction behind them because they can contact like 500 people a month and like create more damage to themselves and to other people rather than back in the day when it was just like, oh, we took a stroll and I talked to one person. So I just think that things are amplified more because yeah. we have the opportunity to kind of 
experiment, but also maybe hurt people because we're hurt. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Sarah, thank you for joining me. You're welcome. I, thank I, you for having me. I want to thank Sarah Kubrick for joining me on this podcast. Um, stick around for a bonus episode where I asked Sarah um, a question about sex and teenagers. Until next time, bye-bye.